Hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the lovely podcast, The Endurance of Labor Laws. I am your lovely host, Leslie Sullivan, and today is episode 51, and we are going to take a quick look at the Brotherhood of Railroad Sing- Signal Men. I almost want to say single men, but it's signal men. Sorry. Sometimes these words are hard to pronounce if you're not used to them. But basically the people that work and build the railroads and um the signals that go along with all that industry. But first of all, I would like to give a big shout out to my listeners. So here we go. Uh Texas, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Oklahoma, New York, Indiana, Washington and Florida. Florida, I am just a little jealous of you right now because you have wonderful weather going on right now. You have beautiful palm trees, beautiful swimming pools, but in Oklahoma it is a little nippy here right now, and I don't have a heated pool at the moment, so <laughs> much less pine trees, or sorry, much less palm trees. I have two Norfolk pine trees that I have inside. They're really beautiful plants. I love them, but I am I am a little jealous of you, Florida, because of your weather there. But who knows? Maybe someday I'll buy a home out there. I would absolutely love that and just visit for the winter. Who knows? I think it would be really fun. But let's go ahead and get started on this uh, lovely episode here. So it says here the Brotherhood of Railroad Signalmen, also known as BRS, was founded in 1901 as a trade union representing railroad employees working in what was then the new craft of signaling. Cuz we have to remember that railroads were not always around. So railroads, they really came into prominence, I would say in the 1800s would be my guess, cuz that's kind of when I I know that we had some railroads being built in the 1800s in the United States and thereabouts and I wish we had more railroads now but unfortunately a lot of them got shut down whenever the automobile really took off in terms of people buying the automobile but I think we are getting back uh more so to railroads because it's it's cheaper and I think it's I think it's I was going to say it's more fun but I just think it's a good thing to have multiple ways of having transportation because I remember when I lived in Dallas for a short time the traffic there was crazy it was insane you know normally I love driving but Dallas was so nerve-wracking just trying to get home from my job getting to work was easy because I would leave super early but driving home I just couldn't believe how crazy the drivers were there. I mean, they would do like 80 miles an hour and there were no cops around ever. And I'm just like, where are the cops? Like they could make so much money off of all these crazy drivers from Texas. No offense, Texas, but you know how some of your people drive. They need to go back to driving school and calm down. But there's just a level of intensity there and it was just one of those things when I was living there, I just thought, you know, I really wish there was more public transportation. like Amtrak's railroads things like that and that went to more places it's like we only had a few and I never rode it um the one that I was around in Dallas Texas because it was kind of gross there was a lot of crime that was at these stations a lot of druggies a lot of homeless people it's like I do not want to take a chance of getting robbed I don't want to be around I'll just say I don't want to be around gross people that don't bathe you know because in Dallas Texas they stopped especially downtown Dallas Texas the police stopped picking up vagrants they stopped picking up people that were loitering causing problems because they didn't want these people in their vehicles and then they would have nowhere to take them and it was very disappointing because it made the roads not safe it made a lot of public transportation not safe so i think way back in the day and i say way back in the day like in the 1940s and 50s railroads were were safe because we had more people using them 
you know, we had less vehicles on the road and more people were using the railroads. And you can see that from the movies that were made, especially the, uh, I think they're called aerial views, like where you can see, like, for example, I think it was in somewhere in Florida, I'm trying to remember, where you have all these tankers that are, that are right off the coast of Florida. And it's really well built, some of the cities down there. And you see all the railroads and the train stations and things like that because not everybody had a car. So I, I kind of wish we had that. I mean, I love having a vehicle and I love driving. But it really would have helped me when I was working in Dallas, Texas, if I could have just driven my vehicle to a station and then just got hopped on the train even for like 10 or 15 minutes and just go to the next stop and get to my job. But that's not how a lot of our cities are built anymore. And however they were built, Dallas, Texas is, is notorious for tearing stuff down, like stuff that's actually functional and actually works and is actually historical. Well, they tear down a lot of stuff and they rebuild. And just side note, one of the things I could not stand at all when I lived in Dallas, Texas, I'm trying to remember what highway I was, I was on, but there was one highway. It's just, I was going to say it's littered, but it has a bunch of, of skyscrapers or really tall apartment buildings and a lot of them it looks like they're built out of glass well what sucks about that excuse my language what what is not good about that is that if you're driving home during certain parts of the day the sun reflects off of all those glass buildings and it impedes your vision when you're trying to drive on the highway it was really horrible and not only that it heats up your car like wherever that redirected sunlight hits it basically nukes your hood or if it's going right into the windshield the driver windshield the front one then it is heating up your vehicle even worse than the actual heat that's outside your vehicle from from the sun and the temperature and things like that because another thing I didn't like about Dallas Texas was I would come home from work I would fix dinner And I had a cat at the time, and I would, she was harness trained, so I would take her for a walk. She was very mellow, very wonderful cat, very beautiful pussycat. And she was large, too. She was a 22-pounder. So people always did a double take when they saw us. But, you know, I want to make sure that she got out and about. But she was always on her harness, and that was to protect her. It wasn't because she was a problem. It was people's dogs that were the problem. And hardly anybody had their dog on a leash, even though there's a leash law. So it's kind of like, you know, where are the police when they could be totally writing tickets to these idiots And I literally do mean idiots that don't have their dogs on a leash and they say, oh, what's well, friendly? I'm like, yeah, to you because you're the owner. You know, it, it always bothered me whenever someone's dog would rush us and try and go after my cat. That's the reason why we have leash laws. But anyway, so I get home from work. I'd walk my cat, fix dinner, exercise, whatever I need to do. But it seemed like during the summer months, it didn't matter what time of day or what time of night it was, the pavement always stayed flaming hot. And I didn't realize, I did not realize how hot it was until um, I meant like the pavement. I know it's hot from like just being outside, but I mean like the pavement. I didn't know that pavement reflects heat from the sun. I didn't know this until I was walking from my car to my apartment and I didn't have a close parking spot because I guess someone took it or something like that. So I had to walk quite a ways to my apartment. And what I noticed was that my feet started getting hot as I was walking and I don't normally have problems with temperature at all. I'm walking and then I noticed that my flip-flops, they're heating up and they're starting to stick to the pavement. Well, what had happened was it was so hot that day that the sun 
put all this heat on the cement on the pavement. And the pavement or the cement never really cooled off. So it stayed hot. And it started simmering things. So it was melting my flip-flops as I was walking from my car to my apartment. And I could feel the heat coming up my ankles. Like I could feel the heat kind of radiating. It almost felt like steam that was coming up off of the ground. And I just thought, this is not a pleasant place to live. I just thought it's ruining my shoes. And then it also warped my tennis shoes that I had. It warped the rubber on them. And I just thought, okay, what can I wear? Blocks of wood? I don't know. Are those going to burst into flames? Like what can I wear? Wedges? I mean, it was a it was different living down there. But needless to say, it was very stressful. And when I lived down there, I guess my point is this. When I lived down there, I wish we had I wish we had had more public transportation, especially public transportation that's clean and safe. Because a lot of those bus stops and train stops that they did have down there, I think it's Amtrak if I'm if I'm not mistaken, they were dirty, filthy, uh homeless people infested places. And I'm not against homeless people, but they cannot be living at these these uh bus stations or these train stations. They need to move them out of the way like if they're not there to conduct normal legal business, meaning get on the train or get off the bus, whatever the case may be, then they need to be arrested or they need to be ticketed and moved elsewhere because it caused a lot of problems and i think a lot of women would greatly appreciate it if the police would actually do their job because in Dallas Texas like i was saying they they did not want to mess with the homeless because it was such a huge problem it was horrible and yet Dallas Texas is a very liberal city i kid you not I'll, this will be the last thing I say about Dallas, Texas, in this podcast. But one of the things that was really weird about living down there was it wasn't long after I moved down there that they had just passed, or they had the citizens had voted that they are anti-plastic bags because they're going to be environmentalists and they're going to care about the planet and all this, you know, BS or whatever word you want to use. Excuse my language. And so what they did was. If you were going to if you were going to use if you were going to uh purchase items and it was going to be bagged in plastic bags, you had to pay more money for that. You had to pay money in order for the store. It didn't matter if it was a Walmart, a Target, a CVS, you had to pay for that. Like you were punished. And then they took it to the to the extreme in the area that I was in and they banned plastic bags. So when you went in to buy stuff and this was several years ago like way pre-covid they're probably still nutty down there but anyway um it, the one thing I didn't like about living down there was like there was always an agenda taking place oh we got to vote on this we got to do this we got to have a cause and it's like no why can't you just live your life and be normal and not be so intense about everything but anyway um I would go to the pet food store and buy my cat her her pet food And I didn't know that they had just passed some stupid resolution in Dallas County or Dallas, Texas or whatever that said that plastic bags are banned at least in the area that I was in. So you had a choice of using your own bags or buying one of their reusable bags there at the store or you could pay for paper bags. That was the other option to this. So I paid for paper bags. I love their paper bags because what's nice is that they were huge. So I could use those as like a trash can in my bathroom or wherever 
like in my kitchen so that way I wouldn't have to use a trash can because there's one thing I don't like having to do and that's to clean trash cans. I would rather just be able to throw it into a bag, the trash, and then just take that bag out immediately to the dumpster. So that's what I did. So they thought I was crazy when I said, "Hey, well, instead of just buying one bag for my groceries or for my cat's food, can I just buy like 50 of them?" Because I use those as really good trash bags because they stand up on their own like they're really good they're really good um paper bags, almost like the Brahms bags with handles, those really large ones. I love those. And they're just like, "Well, you're not supposed to buy them." I was like, "You're making me pay for it anyway." Like, I'm the consumer. I can buy whatever I want. So just stock it up and let me pay for it. So every so often I would go in there and buy all these paper bags in bulk. And one one lady, she tried to go off on me. Well, she wasn't a lady if she was trying to go off on me, but there's this woman. She was kind of like environmental environmentalist nutbag or whatever and to the extreme, like beyond tree hugger kind of thing. And um I said, "Well, here's the thing. Are you aware that paper is biodegradable?" Yes. Okay. Then obviously it's not a problem if I'm using your your paper bags as a trash can because then I'm not using a plastic trash can. I'm using a paper bag as a trash can. So that way I'm actually using less and recycling more. And she just kind of stared at me. It's just like it's like the light bulb didn't come on. I don't know if it ever came on in her in her head. But what I know is about Dallas, Texas and certain areas of it. There's there's pockets of liberalism down there like to the extreme. And it's really sad because it it causes a lot of problems in voting and taxes and things like that. And um anyway, so I don't know if she, if she ever really understood what I was saying, but what's sad about these environmentalists, like they're so extreme, like they're not even acknowledging that paper is biodegradable because it's from trees. So it's like, you know, it's trees are better than using plastic because I've never liked plastic bags. I've always thought we should stick with paper, things that are things that are natural, things that are uh, biodegradable. So I'm all for not using plastic. I just don't think you should punish people for using plastic. But that's kind of what Dallas, Texas was doing and it was just completely opposite of Oklahoma. I mean, I knew that going in, but it made it very stressful because like you could go to a store and their employees would just be griping about some political agenda or some cause or something. I'm just like, "Can I just find somebody to help me like with whatever I need help with?" Like it was It was weird because it, it it affected the customer service. It's like you weren't really getting customer service. It's like you were paying them to lecture you about different things. So I was not always a fan of that. You know, God bless them. You know, they're they, they've got their problems. I'm sure everybody does. But it was a little weird. But my point is this: I wish Dallas, Texas, and other cities like that would have more railroads and that they'd be clean, so that way we could actually use them. and not be concerned about sanitation or safety because that's the number one reason why I don't use things or why I don't go visit places is if I don't think it's sanitary or if I don't think it's safe otherwise I would totally go I would totally use the services I would totally pay for a trip you know whatever the case may be but it's like I'm I'm not going to tolerate unsanitary conditions and I'm not going to tolerate um lack of safety because those to me are two very basic things. I mean if we have laws and regulations based off of OSHA, I mean why wouldn't we want our our public society to be sanitary and safe just in general? 
when we have all these rules, laws and regulations in place about safety and sanitation at our places of work. So it just kind of it's kind of like it's not a catch 22 and it's not tick for tack, but it's just kind of like if we have this, how come we don't have this other thing in place as well? Is what it makes me think of. So it goes on to say as railroads increasingly turned to the new technology of signal systems to improve the safety and efficacy or I'm sorry, efficiency of their operations, the BRS expanded and eventually grew into a national organization representing the men and women who install and maintain signal systems for most of the nation's railroads. The BRS represents over 10,000 members working for railroads across the United States and into Canada. That concerns me a little bit because I don't think this is an international union. I think they happen to have companies that operate out of Canada would be my guess, but Canada is a socialist country. No offense, no offense Canada, but you know what your country is and you know how you vote typically. And I hope you know who your leaders are. It always helps when you do. But for the United States, it always concerns me whenever we are doing business um with another country or in another country when they do not reflect the same rules laws regulations morals ethics and efficacy of what we function as especially when it when it comes to our labor laws and our labor law standards because ours are completely different than Canada just like Canada is completely different than ours it doesn't necessarily mean that one is better than the other i'm not really sure they are completely comparable because we are two totally different demographics and we are two totally different i want to say land masses but we're two totally different countries we have different terrain we have different people different languages um we have different industries things like that so it always concerns me when we're doing business in another country because it's not the same as the united states the united states is free market capitalism and democracy and technically a republic there is no other country on the face of the earth that operates the way that we do unfortunately all these other socialist countries they operate very much the same in that they will suck you dry of your money through taxes and unnecessary welfare programs and it de- it depletes your currency and it weakens it that's what all these other socialist countries have in common is they basically suck at being bankers they 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 are horrible at balancing their budgets and the reason why is because they don't really balance them because if they actually did balance their budgets they would realize that what they're doing is pretty much doomed to fail from the beginning and it's not sustainable that's the thing that is not good there's a lot of things that aren't good about social welfare programs but one of the number one things is that they're not sustainable because you're always having to take someone else's money away from them to allot it to somebody else that either can't work or be should work but they refuse to work Not everybody that's on a social welfare program is lazy. There I think the majority of them can't work. That that's my personal opinion, but I do think they should be given the opportunity to work and to have really good jobs. Like this minimum wage, that's going to say crap, but this minimum wage job stuff for people that are coming off of social welfare programs, if a minimum wage job is not good enough for me, then it's not good enough for them. Like if I want to make 55 or 75k a year, That's what these people should be making when they come off of these social welfare programs. But unfortunately, our government as well as other governments that practice social welfare programs, unfortunately, they don't really give you the cream of the crop or the pick of the litter in terms of finding a job. They just think, well, if you're going to come off of that program, you know, you should just start at the bottom and work up kind of attitude. It's like, no. Like it's not sustainable to make minimum wage. 
I'm not against the minimum wage jobs. I've had those jobs before. They were a great stepping stone. I always got really good hours because I could always earn double overtime, not up double overtime, but overtime. Time and a half is what I meant to say. But unfortunately, like, it, it's not a sustainable job if people can't make more money, if they can't grow in that position. If, you know, because no one wants to remain stagnant at their occupation. They want to move up. But unfortunately, if you start out at the bottom, sometimes it's very difficult to move up in advancements. in promotions, in better pay, in better benefits. That's what I don't like about these lower-paying jobs. Do they have a place? Sure. But I do think we could be paying our workers better without the use of unions. See, here's the thing. If we had been paying our workers what they're actually owed and what they're due, then we would not have such a, a high rate of unions and so many members in them because you would have the company – and the economy already taking care of the worker. But unfortunately, sometimes we have these these employers that they just want to suck it dry and they don't really value human labor. Although what's interesting with this, it kind of reminds me of these managers I've had in the past where it's like, you know, they started out at the bottom and then they moved up. And so when you apply for a job, they think that you should go through all the hell they went through, almost like an initiation process. It's like, okay, this isn't a frat house. This is, this is a place of employment. If I don't want to start out the bottom and if I didn't apply for a bottom job, I'm not going to start out there. It's one thing if I actually applied for a low-paying job. It's completely different if I applied for a higher-paying job and then they're trying to lowball me. That is very insulting and a slap in my face. It's a slap in anybody's face to lowball someone. It's just wrong. But, but, but what they do is they try and make you feel guilty as a worker and say, well, I had to start there. And my response is, I don't care. Like that, that's not my problem. Like we're, we're not the same. You know, where you started out at is not where I need to start out at. Like I don't have to prove myself to anybody. That, that's what I don't like about some of these employers. And I don't mean these people specifically. I'm not, because this technically isn't an employer, it's a trade union. But my point is this. If people were actually treated with dignity and respect and treated how we're supposed to treat people, I don't think we would have so many employment problems. Like, I don't know why, but it just seems like sometimes when people get into management, they totally forget what it was like to be treated like garbage. And then they forget that, hey, you know, wouldn't it be nice if you could just avoid that, that lower-paying sector and just move on up to middle-paying job or a higher-paying job and you don't have to be put through hell just to prove your worthiness or whatever because I'm the kind of person that I don't have to prove my worthiness. Like, I don't have to go through hell to prove that I'm a good employee. But unfortunately, especially here in the Bible Belt, I've noticed it's, they've got this, you've got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Well, they take that to the extreme and they put you through really... bad labor projects, I would say. I don't know how else to describe it. They make your life a living hell while you're working for them for a certain period just to kind of prove to you how hard a job is, even though it may not have even, even though it may not even be the job you initially apply to, but it's like, well, I went through that, so you should have to go through it. No, I don't. So if you're going, if you're currently going through that right now, please look for a different job. Please get a better job because you don't deserve that. If you're working for an employer that acts like a stupid, skanky frat house that just likes to haze its workers 
Oh, I went through this, so you're going to have to go through this. No, I don't. Nobody has to go through that. Nobody ha- no nobody should go through that. But unfortunately, that's that's what happens with some of these things. So, I know that's a tangent, but I don't know. I I kind of feel like God placed it on my heart because I I've experienced that. And it was horrible, and I was just like, you know, I I don't have time to satisfy someone else's ego. And I don't care to. Like I'm I'm not a punching bag for somebody else's stupidity and neither are you. So just know that your value is not dependent on what someone else thinks. Your value technically is between you and God. Regardless of whether you believe in God or not, your value is between you and God because he loves you. That's what I know to be a fact and to be truth. And I'm so glad I know that because that's one of the reasons why I've walked away from really bad jobs because I knew that there was no way I could make more money and it wasn't looking like I was ever going to get any respect. And I just thought, well, if this is how they're treating me now, why would I think they're going to treat me any better in the future? So I've just learned who I like to work for and who I do not like to work for. And it's definitely, it's not a learning curve. It's just you really learn a lot about people once you start to work for them because I kind of feel like everybody puts on their showcase behavior in the interview. Because see, see, here's the thing: if I had known that some of these people I worked for were bad or were mean or cruel or acted like stupid frat guys, I would have never applied for the job. I would have never, I would have never worked for them. But 99% of the time, you don't know what it's really like until you actually work for these people. So just know that it's okay to switch jobs. It's okay to switch industries. You need to do what's best for you. Don't ever let an employer strong arm you. Don't ever let a boss, you know, whittle down your your wages and say, "Oh, we got to cut back." Okay, well, why don't you cut back on your own butter, not mine? You know, that that's how I look at it. I always find it interesting when someone says, "Oh, we got to make sacrifices. We got to cut back." Okay, well, if you're really serious about that, why don't you try it first? And if all we need is just one person to cut back, why don't we choose that person to be you since it's your idea? That's how I look at it. Because I don't like people messing with my pay, and I'm sure you don't either. But what I've learned is that when you're a newbie, when you're young, when you're inexperienced, or when you don't make as much money as a manager, they typically like to mess with your wages and your hours because they think that they can manipulate you because you don't have the seniority that they have. because oftentimes they use seniority as a way to manipulate other people's jobs and their wages and their responsibilities even though that's illegal that's unlawful it's wrong and it violates a lot of laws but it's just wrong behavior and what's interesting is that if they were in your shoes they would not like being treated like that by a manager that behaves like them But again, it's like what I was saying, sometimes when people get into that management role, they take that title to the extreme and just treat people like garbage. I don't know why. I don't get it. And I'm not saying every boss I've ever had has been bad, but let me tell you, I've had some bad ones. And I just go, I don't understand how these people can live with themselves. I I just don't get it. I I'm just shocked at some of the behavior that I've come across over the years and some of the horrible managers I've had. But the way that I got through it was I just focused on my job, my responsibilities and my life and what I want and I knew when it was time to walk away. I knew that I could do something better with my life. I don't know why that made me think of that, but I don't know, I just felt like someone that's listening to this needed to hear that. 
I can't explain it, but something just tells me that someone is listening to this and needs to be told, you have value. You are worthy of better things. You're not a doormat and you're not a punching bag for anyone. Doesn't matter whether in a whether you're in a union or not. It doesn't matter whether you're in the private sector or the public sector or a non-profit, whatever the case may be. You have value. Just know that. Just know that. I don't know why, but something's telling me to tell somebody that. I don't know who you are, but I pray that you know that you have value and you are very much loved. So just know that in your heart and your soul. I think it will brighten your day and make your life a whole lot better just to know the truth about yourself and about your situation, whatever it is. But anyway, let's get back to this. It says signalmen install, repair and maintain the signal systems which railroads utilize to direct train movements. Automatic signals and switches installed and maintained by signalmen allow railroads to move large numbers of freight and passenger trains at higher speeds and with greater safety. Signalmen also install and maintain the warning systems used at railroad highway crossings. Those are very important because I've seen some horrible wrecks where stuff didn't go right and it, you know people can die. Anyway, it says which play a vital role in ensuring the safety of highway travelers. Some signalmen work constructing, installing or upgrading signal systems or making major repairs. After signal systems are installed, other signalmen perform maintenance and and inspection of the equipment. Many signal employees are assigned to a particular section of railroad and are responsible for keeping the signals, switches and crossing devices in their section in safe operating condition. Now that I did not know that they assigned certain people to certain parts of the railroad, but that's actually really smart because it creates accountability. And also, it's kind of one of those things where you have consistent labor and you know who's in charge of that and they know what's going on in their area. As opposed to if you just keep moving people around all the time, it's like nobody knows anything. But with this, they do know what they're doing because they have good people at the same spot monitoring what they know is good and true and they're going to take care of it. So that to me shows consistency and that they actually care about the public and about safety. It says here signalmen inspect and maintain the equipment on a regular schedule using special test equipment to check mechanical devices and the sophisticated electrical and electronic devices used in modern signal systems. If there is a problem with the signal system, trains can be delayed and safety of the railroad operation will be affected. When that happens, signalmen are called on to make repairs and restore safe operation of the railroad. Railroads operate 24 hours every day, so signalmen are called on to work at all hours of the day and night in all kinds of weather. Signalmen learn their craft through on-the-job experience and formal apprentice training programs. They are schooled in the stringent federal regulations which govern railroad signal systems and in railroad operations, electricity, electronics and mechanics. After serving an apprenticeship of up to 4 years, employees attain journeyman status. Many employees also receive advanced training in computer technology and the increasingly sophisticated electronic circuitry used in today's signal systems. The Brotherhood of Railroad Signalmen represents most of the signal employees on both the freight railroads and the passenger and commuter railroads. The Brotherhood's national headquarters is located in Front Royal, Virginia. The Brotherhood has local offices in every section of the country. 
The BRS is structured like many unions with local lodges made up of members who work for a particular railroad or in the case of large railroads on a particular division of the railroad. Local lodges elect officers and representatives established by laws and meet regularly to consider grievances, initiate new members and conduct other local business. Local lodges also elect delegates to represent them at the brotherhood's conventions. While in session, conventions are the union's supreme authority and determine the direction of the union. Delegates set brotherhood policy, review the general condition of the union, and establish collective bargaining goals. Delegates also elect grand lodge officers who direct the operation of the brotherhood between conventions. Michael S. Baldwin currently serves as president of the brotherhood. He was elected to the position in 2021, so fairly recently. James M. Finnegan serves as secretary treasurer. The Brotherhood of Railroad Signalmen is affiliated with AFL-CIO and the Transportation Trades Department. Now they are also affiliated with CLC, if I remember correctly. So let me double check that because I don't want to tell you wrong. So yeah, that's true. They are affiliated with AFL-CIO and the CLC, which is the Canadian Labor Congress. So obviously they do have affiliations in Canada, excuse me, and with Canada. So that kind of concerns me a little bit as I've said before when you're doing business in other countries, it could kind of complicate things. It doesn't mean it's impossible, but we just need to be aware of where money's are going. Like if there are unions in the United States, which I would assume with this one that more of the union members are in the United States as opposed to Canada because we have way more population in the United States than in Canada. We have way more railroads in the United States as opposed to Canada. So I hope that their union dues if they if they are american citizens they need to stay in the united states in the american unions and not in the canadian unions so i i hope that that there is a clear distinction of what is appropriate and what is not appropriate but anyway the next union that we will be taking a look at will be the california school employees association that one should be interesting just because i'm always fascinated with california they have a very unique history as a state And unfortunately right now California is going through a lot of problems um with people leaving California because it's too expensive and it's it can kind of be an aggressive place to live sometimes but the number one reason why people are leaving California is because of high property tax um high I think it's state income tax and there's all these other taxes rules laws and regulations um that their government their I mean they act like they're their own country. I mean the joke years ago in Oklahoma was we're not surprised an earthquake hasn't hit California and hasn't just pushed it out to sea and it be its own island or its own country because sometimes the rules, laws and regulations that they pass out there are so crazy and extreme it's like they are their own country. And that's really kind of concerning because they are technically part of the United States of America because they are part of us. And what's kind of interesting about that is that even though they try and act like their own country at times, they are still getting federal tax dollars. So they're getting all these grants and stuff from the federal government. Well, those are our tax dollars as well, especially from other states. And so California, they're pretty much bankrupt. They've been overtaxing their citizens for way too long and it's really sad because California, I think I've been there twice if I'm not mistaken. I was I was younger. But it's such a beautiful state. The people that we met there were absolutely sweet. I think it's gotten a little nuttier over time because it seems like California it it almost reminds me of Dallas, Texas in a way where 
it's like everybody's got an agenda. Everybody's got a campaign, everybody's got a cause, everybody's got an extreme opinion, and sometimes it's just really liberal. And I'm not against liberals. I think sometimes liberals have a point. But if they get to be too extreme and unrealistic about things, that's where I get concerned because almost everything they discuss or want has to deal with money. And here's the thing, the state of California is not fiscally smart. They're not fiscally sound. So for them to try and give other people advice, especially other states that are not in their kind of debt, it's kind of hypocritical for them to try and tell other people what to do when they can't even balance their own budget and they've got their own problems. It's kind of like that that um uh, that verse in the Bible where it says, you know, take the plank or take the take the splinter out of your take the plank or splinter out of your own eye first before you you help your neighbor because if you don't remove it from your eye first you can't really help anybody else and that's very unfortunate for California because like i said it's a beautiful state they have really kind people there although some are nutty but it's just a really unique state and i hate to see that it's kind of gone down the tubes and the reason why is because you have the crazy liberal left that has uh, been getting into um they've been elected into office in so many different ways you know not just on a national level but in a local level within their state and they have a democrat for a governor and sometimes the things he says are just really odd i mean he's not like the craziest one i've ever heard of i think the craziest one i've ever heard is up north i think the, the one that looks like cruella deville i think she's michigan she has really black hair but she's crazy. Um some of the things she says and does, I just feel so sorry for her citizens. But I'm like, you know what they voted for and you know what you vote for is what you get. So if you don't like somebody, vote them out. You know, just vote for somebody else. But California, they just kind of they keep doing the wrong thing but yet expecting a different result. Well, that's technically the definition of insanity. If you expect to get different results but you're doing the same thing, you're really barking up the wrong tree and you're really just chasing your tail and you're not really getting where you need to go in life, which is very unfortunate because like I said California is a beautiful state and they have some wonderful industries there. It's a really you know they kind of have their own culture and that's really neat and unique as well. Um I just wish it was more prosperous. I wish it was better run. because I don't think people should have to leave a state because they can't afford to live there. I think they should, you know, if they want to move away from somewhere, I think it sh- it should be because they just want to try something new, not because it's not financially reasonable or because they're in debt or because they can't afford it or because it's too crazy out there with the rules, laws and regulations. You know, I just I just wish things were better in California. You know, maybe I should start praying for that because every once in a while I do pray for California and I do pray for their leaders and and specifically their citizens because technically it's the citizens that are that are the leaders it's not the people they elect and i don't mean that in a overtaking of the government kind of way i don't mean that i don't mean that in a boycotting way it's just that when you are a citizen of the united states you have rights and technically we are the leaders of our life but we're also technically ambassadors of the united states And with that comes great responsibility. Just because we don't have the word or the title ambassador behind our name, that doesn't mean that we don't represent the United States. And one of the number one ways that we can represent the United States is to be an ambassador 
a good behaving and a normal, rational, calm ambassador within our own community. Because that's where real leaders are born. It's your neighbor. Because you technically are a neighbor to somebody else. Like, that's where we can make the most difference. Like, you don't have to run for president to do great things. Actually, some of the best things and the greatest things that you can do is right in your backyard. It's right in your community. It's right in your city. It's right in your town. So, I think that California, I think a lot of their people need to wake up and realize that you have more power than you realize. You are not powerless. I mean, you guys out there are amazing citizens. Even if I don't agree with every little thing you do, that doesn't matter. You know, opinions can vary from age to age, year to year, whatever the case may be. But I really wish more people in California would wake up and realize that they have tremendous power as citizens. Because you have that freedom and you have that liberty of being a citizen in the United States of America. So, if anything, I would tell California... Take ownership of your state. If you don't like what an elected official is doing, if they're doing something illegal, kick them out. Like, do it the legal and ethical way, by all means, because you don't want to do anything that's wrong or bad, because that just looks bad on you and it can ruin your life. It won't really affect the person that you're trying to get kicked out, because if someone is in a position of power, all they have to do is get a powerful attorney that, that, that they can pay and they won't suffer, but you will. So just, you know, always cover your bases in regards to that. But if you have an official, whether it's elected or appointed, I would say, if they're doing something unlawful or unethical, you have every right to kick them out because you are the citizen and you have rights. Big time. And, and let's say, for example, you have someone that's in office but you don't like what they're doing, but they haven't done anything wrong. It's just a difference of opinion. Well, just vote differently at the ballot. That's all you have to do. And that's one of the great things we have in this country, even in crazy states like California. We have the right to vote. And that is one of, one of the most amazing things we have in the United States. Because if you think about it, we are one of the few countries where we have a right to vote. And our electoral system is actually pretty flawless. Especially when compared to other countries. We have an excellent electoral college. We're actually the only one that technically has an electoral college the way we have it set up. But we have a great voting system. It's technically one of the most honest on the planet. I mean, all you have to do is look up other governments on the face of this earth, specifically, I would say, in South America, Central America. There's a lot of corruption down there. Basically, what I would do if you want examples of places where it's very dangerous uh, and you can't hardly vote and there's a lot of corruption, I would say go look at, I think it's the Department of Homeland Security, like they have a, a segment or a spot on their website that says this is a no travel zone like basically where Americans cannot travel and if you do travel to some dangerous place that's on this list that's on the no travel list if it's on the no travel list you have to sign a waiver stating that you acknowledge that you are an American and that it's a red zone right now where you're wanting to go and that you are completely liable for this and you are on your own for the most part because we're just letting you know you're not supposed to go there but but if you go there you're taking a huge risk Well, basically all those countries and those areas that are listed there, they tend to be the same ones every year. And almost all of them have problems within their government because their people do not have freedom. So just know that wherever you live in the United States, it may be tough where you live, but it's not impossible. 
Like just, I guess what I'm trying to say is count your blessings. And I, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here, and I'm preaching to myself as much as anybody else. But I know that whenever I get frustrated with things, I think about, well, what do I have? What do I have that I'm grateful for, that I love, that you know brings honor and dignity and respect to my country, you know, to my family, to my life, to my workplace, to my relationships. You know things like that. You know, thinking outside of your situation, thinking outside of your misery. If you have misery, which I hope you don't, because misery sucks. But I'm just saying that it really helps to put things in perspective. And even though I don't agree with everything that's happening in the United States, I still love my country so much because my country belongs to me, just like your country belongs to you. And if we're all in the United States, guess what? It belongs to all of us, and we should all care about our country. And the way that we care about our country is we care about what's going on in our communities. Because if we don't care about what's going on right outside our front door, how in the world are we ever going to have empathy for other people in another country and actually care to do the right thing? Because sometimes, sometimes compassion is fake, and I don't like that. I don't like fake compassion, and I know I'm preaching to the choir on this, but it really does matter. What we do locally before we even do anything on a national or an international level, and you might be saying, "Well, Leslie, I'm just in a small town, or I'm just in a city, or you know, look, I just work eight to five. You know what? That's great. I'm I'm glad you work eight to five. I'm glad that you love your job. I'm glad that you have a wonderful family life. But I think you need to take it to the next level. And one of the ways you can take it to the next level." Is look up your local、uh, community, all the charities that are within your local community, I should say, and see how you can help there. And pick a charity, just one, that you really agree with. Don't just go, oh well, this woman from Oklahoma said I should volunteer or I should donate money to a charity. Eeny meeny miny mo, I pick this one. No, no, no. Whenever I am picking something to volunteer for or to donate my money, first of all, I pray about it, and number two, I really research it. To to really to really I don't know how to say this to really swing at home that this is what I need to be doing and this is what I want to be involved in like I guess what I'm trying to say is volunteer or donate to something that is really close to your heart because if it's not close to your heart it's not going to feel like you're actually doing anything and plus it's it's not a legitimate volunteering it's not legitimate help and that's not to insult anyone it's not to put anybody down it's not I'm just saying that. You know, I know from personal experience that you have to be careful who you volunteer for and who you help out and where you donate your money. Because you know, I, you know, when I was younger, I used to think, oh, well, I'll, I'll volunteer for these people. You know, I'll volunteer for this organization. I'll go help out. And I really didn't, you know, investigate them. I just was like, oh, well, you know, they're local. You know, they seem like good people. I'll go, you know, I'll go help out. Well, there have been some times where I was like, man, I don't want to be around these people, or I don't want to be involved in this. Or sometimes you don't realize what it's really like until you get there. But just know you can always back out. You have my permission to do so. So if someone says, "Hey, you can't back out," just say, "Yes, I can." Miss Sullivan from Oklahoma said I could back out. So if you have a problem, you, you just talk to her, and I will totally back you up on that. Because I do think that if something is ever making you uncomfortable, you have every right to back away. Because if something's making you uncomfortable, that's your sixth or seventh or eighth sense, however many senses you have. Because I think some people are blessed with. More common sense than others, but if something's telling you that something's not right, but you can't put your finger on it, just know that's a good, good 
sign that you should walk away from it. You know, just because you don't know all the facts, that doesn't mean that you're that you're wrong to walk away. Because you know, th- that's your intuition. To me, you know, based on the faith that I practice, I know that the Holy Spirit guides me in everything I do. And whenever I get that bad feeling, I know that's the Holy Spirit telling me you need to walk away from this. You know, you need to do something else. So I've learned to really listen to that feeling because, first of all, it guards and protects my safety, and it guards and protects um, my reputation, my character, and also my judgment as well. Because here's the thing: when we start making bad decisions, they compound over time, and unfortunately, that becomes a habit. So I would rather get in the habit of making good decisions and practicing more and more wisdom every day. And I specifically pray for that. I normally don't tell people what I pray for because it's you know between me and God. But you know I don't mind telling you guys this because you guys are really awesome listeners. But you know many many years ago I asked God to give me wisdom. Because I just felt like I, I was in a situation. I was like, man, this is this is over my head. I was like, I don't understand this. I'm not going to go into details of what it was, but you know, God helped me. I said, Lord, help me to grow in wisdom. Give me better insight into stuff. Because you know, I'll be the first to admit that sometimes when you live in Oklahoma and you're born and raised here, it's almost like you're in a bubble. And then it's like you get out in the real world, and you realize there are so many swindlers and so many weasels out there. And man, they are sly. They they are more slippery than Crisco. Like maybe Crisco, if they need a new product, maybe they should consult with some of the weasels I've met over the years because they would definitely know how to grease a pan. That's for sure. That's how greasy and sly some of these people were. And it's just one of those things that you know sometimes you feel like a fool when you're like. Okay, I didn't see that coming. But here's the thing: don't ever feel like a fool. Don't ever feel like that. Like I think sometimes we beat ourselves up um, in our decision making. But see, here's the thing: when someone jips you or hurts you, that doesn't make you the fool. That makes you the victim. Like you're you're not dumb or stupid. And also, here's another thing: when someone does something to harm you, whether physically, mentally, emotionally, or financially, whatever the case may be. You are not the fool. The person that hurt you is your oppressor, and they were pulling something. And get this: the only way that they could pull something was to lie to you, to be deceitful. So that's not a reflection of of you in a bad way. That's a reflection of your oppressor and what they were doing in a very bad way. And I had to learn that. I mean, I had to learn that. Hey, I'm I'm not dumb. I'm not foolish. I I mean, I don't agree with everything that happens in my life. But you know, there are just some situations, especially a big one I had happen. Um, I just had to pray about. It. I had to go to God with it because I just I just felt like an ignorant country bumpkin. I don't know how else to describe it. And I'm, and I'm not even an ignorant country bumpkin. But sometimes that's just how it feels. Um, When people look down on Oklahoma and they move here and try and pull a fast one on people, that's why I call them carpetbaggers, because that's what happened to the South. And we've talked about this in a previous podcast, where the South not only did they suffer because they lost the Civil War, and they should have walked, they should have lost the Civil War because you know slavery was coming to an end, and for them to think that they could win is just stupidity. But anyway. Um, The carpetbaggers were business people from up north that came down to the south and swindled a bunch of people out of their money and out of their property, and and things like that in the south. Like it was just another way that the south got punished. And 
I don't agree with that at all. And so being that I know by history because I have ancestors that fought on both sides. I have ancestors that fought on the south, I have ancestors that fought on the north. And you know, here's the thing, my ancestors on the south suffered way more hardship than than my ancestors that fought on the north side. But I will say this, being that I have that knowledge about what happened to my ancestors, I I know, I I can figure out a a city slicker pretty quick, but every once in a while a real sly one gets past me. And you know, that's very rare that happens these days anymore because like I said, I took it up in prayer and I asked God for wisdom. And I think that you know, if you're having to deal with people like I had to deal with, you had to deal with a carpetbagger, um then I really would strongly suggest that you pray about it because God answers he answers prayers regardless of whether you believe in God or not. I would say pray about. It. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. You know, especially if you're atheist, agnostic or maybe you don't know what you are. That's okay. God knows who you are. He will help you. He's not going to turn you away. He's not going to say, "Oh no, you rejected me," or "Oh no, you know, you called yourself an atheist or or an agnostic. I'm not going to help you." That's not how our heavenly Father operates. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants to help you. And I know that from personal experience. And I know that because I mean, I've never been atheist or agnostic per se, but I have had my faith rattled quite a bit with different hardships that have happened in my life. And I know that my heavenly Father got me through every single one of them, and He guided me in every single way. And that's why I go to Him with everything, because I've learned that the best advice is from my heavenly Father. And so that's why I go to Him all the time. Doesn't matter how big or small the situation is. Um, but I guess going forward, um, I guess I'll lift up prayers for California, being that I meet more and more people that move here to Oklahoma from California, and. I just I feel sorry for them in a way like my heart goes out for them or to them because they had to leave everything and move to a new place that they really don't want to live and you can always tell they don't want to live here because they miss the palm trees and miss the beach you know they miss the fancy license plate with the bear on it you know I get it they they had they had a certain lifestyle out there out there in California and Oklahoma is completely different But the one thing I know is that whenever people move here to California, not California, whenever they move here to Oklahoma, they are always taken aback by how kind we are to people. And you know, they they just they're they're always appreciative of how much we understand their hardship because I think sometimes people forget that even though Oklahoma is a cheaper place to live, we've had some very deadly tornadoes here. We've had um we've had deadly not forest fires but like grass fires things like that. Like we've gone through a lot in Oklahoma over the years. And so I don't know why but it just seems like whenever people move here, we just open our hearts to them because we understand. And we've also had financial hardships like whenever there's an oil bust, it always hit it always hits Oklahoma really bad. because we are oil and gas driven. People may not know that about Oklahoma, but we are very much oil and gas driven economy here. So whenever there's a oil and gas crisis or whenever there's something going on with oil and gas and and refineries are shutting down or maybe the EPA is being stupid strict on things even though we still need fuel for our cars, which is just dumb for the EPA to be not nice about fuel whatsoever. I guess they they don't want Walmart to get the products they need to sell to us. I don't know because it it definitely affects consumerism. But we've had a lot of financial hardships as well. 
So we definitely understand that when people move here, there's a reason. We, we, like, let me put it this way. I have never met anybody that has moved here from another state, especially from Florida or California, that said, oh, we've always wanted to live in Oklahoma. We just have been looking forward to it for years. I have never heard that. People don't want to move here because they want to. They don't want to move here. They move here because it's a last resort. And, you know, for a good while when I was younger, and I'm not old by any means, but I just remember when I was way younger, I took offense at that. I was like, really? Like, I was born and raised here, and you, you come here and talk like that about our state? <laughs> but then, you know, when you get older and as an adult, you realize, okay, if I was in their situation, I would understand. I would totally understand that, hey, they had to pick up and leave everything that they've ever known, move to a completely new place. For whatever hardship, for, for whatever reason they had to move, I understand that. And the great thing about Oklahoma is that we are very accommodating to, to all walks of life. I may not agree with every little thing. Believe me, I do not agree with every little thing. But one thing I do know is that Oklahoma, we have really good people here. We have really kind and sweet people here. I know that if I needed something, I could easily go to my neighbor and say, hey, I need help with this. Can you help me? And the odds of them saying no are like less than 1%. So if they do say no, then there's probably something else going on. But most people will help you. And, you know, when I lived in Dallas, Texas, nobody wanted to help you with hardly anything. I only met like one or two kind people. Out of all the people I met while I was living there, there were not very many nice people there because everybody was um, – Not, not everybody, but the majority of people I met, it was like they're doing their thing and they don't, they don't have time to stop and talk to you, even if you don't need help with something. And even if you did need help with something, they wouldn't really care to help you. But also, I lived in a very liberal part or close to the very liberal part of Dallas, Texas. And um, it was very disappointing to see that kind of behavior because when, when you think of Texas, you, you think of like Bible Belt, you know, kind of crazy Christians and, you know, they love Jesus and all this stuff. And and it, it wasn't like that at all. I actually did not meet very many Christians, although I'm sure they probably went to church, but they didn't act or talk like Christians by any means where I lived. So it's one of those things that it made me miss Oklahoma. And I didn't think I would miss Oklahoma. I really did not. But sometimes you don't realize how, how good you have it until you lose it. And then you want it back, if that makes sense. Um, but anyway, you know, I worked in Dallas, Texas, and then my contract ended. And you know, I moved for work, and I moved back to Oklahoma. And it was probably one of the smartest things I've ever done. It was very much a good thing. But anyway, uh, my point is this. Um, you know, don't be afraid to walk away from a job that isn't fulfilling your life, that isn't, how do I word this, that's not... leading you towards your destiny because I mean I can think of so many jobs I've had over the years where I knew it wasn't the right job but I just needed the money and I was a hard worker I did everything I could but it's like I never fit in I didn't belong I just thought why do I waste my time on jobs and people that don't care about me and, and don't want what's best for me and I don't mean that harshly but I think we've all been in those kind of similar situations So I think it really matters who you work for and who you work with. So that way you have a really good team. And I think it also matters where you live. You need to love where you live. And if you can't afford to live where you love, 
what I would do, me personally, and I know nobody's asked me this, but I would ask God to help me make so much money that it doesn't matter where I live, I can afford it. And there's some people that think, "Oh, you're going to ask God for money?" Yeah, why not? Why not? He he can help me with anything and everything. Why not ask him for help with that? That's that's what I do. And it, it it's a wonderful thing. Like whatever you need help with, you need to go to your heavenly father about that. Because he loves you and he cares for you and he doesn't want you to be poor, broke or ill or you know, he doesn't want you to feel shame and blame and agony and misery. Like he doesn't want you to feel any of that or go through any of that. So, I mentioned that I don't know, it's just on my heart. I don't know why I'm talking like this to you guys, but I don't know, something tells me that someone need to hear that. Like don't be afraid to ask for help and don't be afraid to pray about it. Like don't feel like you're not worthy to to go to God with your request. Because see, because here's the thing, God is not a person. He's our heavenly Father. Like he he's not he's not your boss, he's not your employer. You know, he he's not like that. Um he loves you no matter what. So I I've just noticed and I I can speak from experience on this from living in the Bible belt um there are some denominations that like to tell you that oh you're you're nothing but a worm you're a sinner you're lower than dust and I'm just like show me in the Bible where it says that. And they'll say ashes to ashes dust to dust you know whatever that stupid line is I'm like that is not what that means. Like Why would God why would God degrade something that he created when when we were made in his image? And I know that this is, you know, a little bit of of religion for you, but or not 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 necessarily religion, but a little bit of God's holy word, but you know, I just don't agree with the whole mindset that if something bad happens you deserve it. That's not true. That's not true at all. That's not from God. That's not God punishing you. Life happens. If something happens, go to him and he will help you get out of it. He will help you get well. He'll help you get a better job. He can repair and heal your family. I mean, the what I love about God is that he's not impossible. He's possible. Whatever seems impossible to you is possible to God. So that tells me right there he's all powerful and he can help with anything and everything. And that's one of the reasons why You know, a good while ago, I started praying for California because I noticed more and more people were moving here, and they didn't want to be here. And I don't blame them on that. Um, I can't think of a place that I would move to and hate it. But um, you know, I guess I haven't had that complete experience like other people. But because wherever I move, I try and make it pleasant. You know, I try and be appreciative of where I live. I try and get to know people and. You know, if it works out, it works out. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I don't hold any grudges. You know, I just move on with my life. Um, but I do think it's very important that we pray for each other. We pray for our country. We pray for our states, and we also pray for our leaders. Because um, I think there, there's nothing wrong with lifting up. You know, just a, a gentle prayer. It doesn't have to be some long-winded "Oh Lord, Oh Lord" kind of prayer. That would give me a headache. Um, But I think it is a good thing that when when you ask God for something it's it's always amazing to me he always answers my prayers like God always answers prayers it just may not be in the way that you think but um I always love it when I can tell immediately when he's answered my prayer and I've had so many situations where that has happened and ordinarily I don't open up about my about my prayer life in this kind of podcast because it's it's technically not about God's word or anything but Um 
there are just some things that I think that as a country and as a nation we need to pray about. And we need to stand up for each other. And we need to do it in a kind and respectful way. And because um, I think that we, we used to do that on a, on a higher scale um, when I was younger, when I was a kid. I just kind of feel like there's more division now. And I don't think there needs to be any division within our country because we have a good and wonderful country. If we did not have a good and wonderful country, we wouldn't have so many illegal people trying to get in here. Like if we were... a horrible place to live dangerous and just awful people wouldn't try and come here and they wouldn't try and become citizens you know nobody wants to go to a war zone and get a job people want to go where where they know they can be safe where they can practice their faith where where they can have a good job and they can practice their religion or whatever the case may be and you know america is one of the best places Now, that doesn't mean I want everybody on the planet to live here. That's not sustainable, and I don't want that. What I would want, and this is why I pray for other countries, is I pray that other countries become like the United States in that they are truly free, they have a, a democracy, and they practice capitalism. Because a lot of the problems with these other countries is the fact that they don't operate in a good, kind manner toward, towards their citizens. Like, they don't even have to be a... a a uh, what's it called not a no fly zone what's it called they don't even have to be a restricted area where we can't go but there are some countries that like you can go there like they're not on the department of homeland security's list but they just may not be the best place for americans to go and i just kind of think well you know if it's if it's not some place i should visit if it's not really ideal for me then what would make it ideal Well, if I pray for them, then things will get better. Because I know how prayer works. I know that the moment I say a prayer, I technically know it's already been answered because the answer is already on the way. Because the way that prayer works, if there are those listening that don't know, and if you do know, that's great. I'm already preaching to the choir. But if you don't know how prayer works, prayer is where you lift up a request to, to God, our Heavenly Father, And that's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's what's called the Trinity. So you're lifting up a request to God. And you just say it like it is. You, you just talk to him just like how I'm speaking to you. It doesn't have to be you know, speaking in, a, in Elizabethan English. It doesn't have to be the King James Version. It doesn't have to be a set of rules. Because that's not prayer. Prayer is where you speak from your heart and from your soul. And you speak directly to God. Now, he already knows everything. And you're probably thinking, then what's the point of praying? The point of praying is that God wants to hear from you. He wants to know what do you want, what do you need, because he wants to help you. Because I kind of look at it this way. You know, you know, let's say, for example, you and I are married. And let's say, for example, I already know what you want. I know that you have a need, but you won't tell me. You won't open up to me. You, you, you give me the cold shoulder. You block me out. And it's like I'm trying to talk to you. I'm trying to say, hey, what can I help you with? But, but you shut me out. Well, if you shut me out, it makes it very difficult to give you what I know that you need. It's the same thing with our Heavenly Father. God wants to hear from us. 
He wants you to open your heart and your soul to him, convey everything that is bothering you, everything that you want, everything that you need. Just say it all. It doesn't matter how big or small or ridiculous or weird it is. Just ask him. Just talk to him about it. And he will guide you. He will guide you. And then at the end of your prayer, typically what I say is in Jesus mighty name I pray amen because when you pray in the name of Jesus that that is just super powerful right there. Cuz that's one of the ways that we communicate directly to God is through his son Jesus. So that that might be a a little bit of a news flash to some people that maybe they don't practice any religion and maybe this is the first time you've ever heard about God, it may be the first time you've ever heard about Jesus or Maybe you already have a wonderful relationship with your heavenly Father, and if you do, that's great. God bless you. That's wonderful. If you already have a great and wonderful relationship, that's wonderful because you know that means that I've already met another believer in Christ Jesus, and that makes me truly and wonderfully and beautifully happy. I love things like that, but I do think it is important to pray for things that that are not necessarily religious and that are not necessarily. you know directly linked to our christian faith and some of those things are our country our leaders our neighbor um other countries as well um countries that are having problems with start with starvation water droughts floods earthquakes um disease and i tell you what when covid hit i was lifting up so many prayers in my room and privately and that I I opened up um prayer request to people and I, and I contacted several people that I know and I said is there anything you want me to pray for anything specific I will pray for you I'm having a prayer hour in my room and I will pray for you whatever it is just send me your request and I didn't think anybody was actually going to contact me but a bunch of people did even people that I didn't even really know contacted me and said I need help with this would you pray for me and I said yes of course I will pray I will pray for you and so I started doing that more and more uh during covid especially since our churches were closed and that really upset me um I did not like that at all but the way that I made it a positive was I started practicing more of my faith at home and I do think that if you are a christian believer You do need to find a good church and you do need to attend it now that churches are open. Because fellowship with other believers is very important. You know, it's just like I'll compare it to something that's not religious at all. And I don't mean this disrespectfully to our government, but it's like for example when you have uh, the House of Representatives or you have the Senate. If they never come together as a group and they, and they never talk to each other, how do they ever get anything done? And then also how do they really know what's going on and what do they need to address it's the same thing with the body of christ if we never get together and we never have fellowship how are we ever going to handle the things that are going wrong and also how are we ever going to celebrate the things that are going right it's the exact same thing but unfortunately with covid we were all kind of forced to to worship at home So that's when um I started having communion at home and I started making um unleavened bread at home. And I always have communion with bread and wine um because I don't particularly like grape juice. So I think that if Jesus had wine, which he did, then I think we should use wine, but that's just my personal opinion. If you use grape juice, that's perfectly fine. Do whatever is is on your heart, and that's between you and God, not me. And so with COVID, I just went ahead and started practicing my faith at home. 
because there really was no other place for me to practice my faith. I mean, I got in, involved online with different worship services and things like that, but it just felt like there was a void during that time. So that's when I really started practicing um more of my faith at home and I kind of developed my own um what is the right wording? Not a ceremony per se, uh but a own little worship service. And um and I knew that that was going to be temporary because I wanted to go back to church, but it really brought me comfort and it really opened my eyes that there are multiple ways to worship our heavenly Father. It's not just one set way. And what I loved about being able to worship in the privacy of my home um with my own bread and wine and having communion in my own home was that I could have that real intimacy with God that I I had not really known before in that way. Like there are different ways of being intimate with God in terms of prayer and practicing your faith and things of that nature, but it was a whole new ball a whole new ball game. Excuse me when covid hit because it really opened my eyes to the goodness of God and that even though we are suffering as a nation as a country as a planet from a very vicious horrible disease we can still worship our God and stand together in faith and and you know pray for a cure and I was praying for a vaccine like the moment I heard about covid-19 and i heard how dangerous it was i immediately lifted up prayers for a vaccine to be made and to hit the market as soon as possible and that prayer got answered i was so impressed with that see that's the power of prayer like whenever i see a situation and something bothers me about it i immediately pray for it i don't wait i don't think well maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm not sure about it no 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 When I hear or see something that doesn't feel right, seem right, and it doesn't line up with the goodness of God, I pray about it. And like for example, when people when I kept meeting more and more people, and most of the time I'm meeting these people at Walmart, like we'll be standing in line at Walmart and these people are from California, and they've got a sourpuss look on their face because they're not happy about having to live here in Oklahoma. And again, I understand. I love these people. They're slowly adapting to Oklahoma. and what not. And um what I do is I just immediately start praying for that person because I know they've got to be miserable. I mean, if you were basically forced to move because you couldn't afford where you lived, and let's say you live right on the beach, you know, or you lived near some very beautiful palm trees, you lived in, you know, a resort type style house, of course that would be a little traumatizing to move to Oklahoma. Just a pinch. And uh so I completely understand that. But whenever I come across a situation like that, I pray for those people. And then it dawned on me the more people I started seeing or meeting um that were coming here from California, I thought, you know, what is going on in California that we have such an influx of people leaving California? That really concerned me because I'd never met so many people that I that I never even knew before. You're just meeting them in public. and they're miserable because they had to leave their home state. You know, it wasn't just like a a vacay place, it was their home they had to leave. And I thought, you know, something's going on with California, so I looked it up. And California has had a huge influx of people leave the state because they can't afford it. 
And I just thought that is so sad. And I mentioned this in a previous podcast that one of the things I like to do is I love to go on realtor.com and I like to look up um housing areas and I like to look up um uh, housing prices. And I know that in California, like within the last year or so, they have added way more property tax. And I know I mentioned this in a previous podcast that um there was an area in Los Angeles, I can't remember what segment it is. But there's one area of Los Angeles, the property tax, it was divided out in two sections on this one house I was looking at. I was like, oh, that's a pretty house. I just happened to notice it because whenever I see a house I like, I typically save it and I, um, I download like a floor plan or something. Because like if ever I build a house here in Oklahoma or wherever I live, I want it to be like what I like. I want it to be what I want and what caught my eye. Well, I was looking at this one house and it had these... two separate tax brackets for this house and I thought that is really odd that it has two separate tax brackets for this house and there was one tax bracket that's like okay it's kind of high I get it it's California but then there was this other tax you have to pay on this house and the the tax on this house was just as much as the house So I think the house was a little over a million dollars or something like that which for California is a nothing but in Oklahoma that's a mansion so my mouth kind of drops. And I was shocked that the the second part of that tax, property tax or whatever, was just as much as the house. And I thought, wow, immediately that's why these people are leaving California. They can't afford to keep paying the same price of their house over and over and over again year after year after year that's insane and also that's greed that's another problem that's what people don't realize about overtaxation it's a form of greed from from your government whether it's local or federal or state whatever the case may be california that state unfortunately has a huge problem with greed and you see that in property tax and some of their other taxes as well but especially property tax it is insane out there like it's a punishment it's like you're punished to buy a house and in one time i was offered a job out there i may have mentioned this before i can't remember cuz i've done so many podcasts but i was offered a job out there in california and i was going to take it because it was a good job it was it was a high paying job it would have been something i really loved I was in I was in between a business contract so I said sure I'll do this that that'll be great cuz sometimes you don't always know if a contract's going to come through so you might as well go for a sure thing. Well, um I went ahead and accepted the job, but then I was trying to find a place to live. And it was proving very difficult to find a place to live. And the rent I think was going to be like 5000, no, 3500 like $3,000 to $5,000 a month just for rent where I needed to live to be close to my job. And then I couldn't hardly find a place to rent not only because of the price but because the the apartments or whatever were going so fast and I thought who in their right mind can afford to pay over $3,000 a month on rent. That's just rent. That's not electricity. It was not bills included at all. It was crazy. And I just thought that is insane. See, because here's the thing. Sometimes people will say, well, it doesn't matter what property tax costs if you live in an apartment. No, 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 no. Do not be fooled by that. Here's the thing. 
property tax is going to be paid by somebody. And when you live in an apartment, you are paying the property tax for the owner. If not their mortgage on the property, if they don't already own it outright. That's why rent is so high in California. Number 1, I doubt hardly anybody actually owns those apartment buildings outright. And also, they have to deal with very high property tax out there. Do you think the owner is going to, you know, give the tenants a break and say, "Oh, I'll just pay the property tax all on my own. You guys get cheap rent." No. The landlord is totally going to get that money out of you, the tenant. So that's what was happening with all these different apartments I looked at. And then I thought I found one that I that that I could kind of swing. I was a little nervous about. It. I was like, "Well, I don't like to I don't like the majority of my money going towards rent or towards a mortgage." That's very dangerous bookkeeping in terms of having a standard of living. So, needless to say, I ended up declining the job uh after all because I couldn't afford to live out there. Because I would actually need to make double or triple what I was going to be paid just to kind of break even to live at this apartment. I mean, it was insane because I always like to have a cushion. I always like to have a safety net in when it comes to money like that cuz You want to make sure that just in case rates go up, you know, not necessarily with your your tenancy, your your rent, but if rates go up on other things that that you're covered in terms of pay, in terms of finances, because if you don't have that cushion, if you don't have that safety net, you know, once one one bill becomes delinquent, almost all of them go delinquent. It's like a domino effect, and it's very unfortunate. I've been there. I hate it. I can't stand it. I'm right there with you in terms of financial struggle and having to go through that at one point in my life. But it's one of those things that, you know, I draw a a line in the sand in terms of what kind of financial risk am I willing to take for my future? I have learned over the years to not take huge financial risk that could ruin my future. And that was a learning lesson because I used to be a huge risk taker. And I think that sometimes that works for people, sometimes it doesn't. I mean, I don't regret being a risk taker because you know, life is risky anyway. But when it comes to basic finances, I've always been cautious. I've always been conservative. Cuz I always like to make sure that I am 150% minimum financially stable. I want to be above and beyond financially stable for my situation. Cuz I remember when I got sick with pleurisy, this was years ago, and I've probably mentioned this before. I got sick with pleurisy in my 20s. I think I was in my mid 20s. Thought I was having a heart attack because the pain was so horrible. Went to the ER. Initially they thought I was having a heart attack and turns out I had pleurisy which is a viral infection in the lining of the lungs excruciatingly painful took months to recover from it from like it took like 4 to 6 months to recover and the financial strain of that was crazy um I like I did not recover financially just financially from that for a long time um because I missed work Um I also could not work as hard for a while for like 4 to 6 months so that affected the money that I made. Um the hospital bills were insane and I'm not for socialized medicine. Um I I had horrible health insurance at the time. I just bought like the bomb of the barrel catastrophe insurance when I was younger and um cuz I never thought anything like that would happen to me. Never never never. 
And um, of course, that's how a lot of people think. So I'm not like shaming myself by any means. But I know that even though I don't have serious health problems, I always buy the, the gold standard of health insurance now. Because that protects me financially. Like, yes, I'm paying more a month now, but it protects me in the short term and the long term. Because I know what it's like when you have really bad health insurance that hardly covers anything, and then some kind of catastrophe happens, and your health insurance doesn't even want to cover what they say they will cover, and then they get out of it through some legal loophole. And it's just horrible because you're on the hook for all that money that you don't already have. Because at that time, I was in my 20s, I was building my nest egg. And I had a pretty good nest egg at the time because I was saving up for a house. I was actually going to close on a house, technically. And I basically lost everything because of getting really sick. And then I had to recover from that sickness And then um, the second time I got pleurisy, again, I was not expecting it to happen. I was in my 30s, and I still am in my 30s. I'm not trying to age myself by any means, but just trying to give a timeline here. Second time I got pleurisy was in my 30s, but I had way better health insurance. Like I had like the gold standard. I had like the best health insurance policy I could possibly purchase. Like it covers, I wanted something that covered the largest network, the most laboratory costs, The most doctors, I wanted to actually pay its bills and not cheat people out of money because that's what my previous health insurance did. It was so horrible that it cheated the hospital and it, cheat, it cheated the doctors out of their money, so then they took me to court. And I was like, how evil can you be? I'm the patient. Like, I barely survived that episode, and you take me to court when you should be taking the insurance company to court, not me. But anyway, um, totally different story for a whole other day. But my point is this, the second time I got pleurisy, I wasn't worried at all financially because I knew I had excellent health insurance. I mean, I was more concerned about my health because I wanted to make sure that I got the best health care regardless of what happened, and I wanted to make sure that I fully recovered. And I knew that I could financially afford it. See, when I got really good health insurance, I knew that it wasn't going to be tick for tack. I knew I wasn't going to be sent to collections I knew that I could go to any ER, any hospital I wanted to because I don't, I don't hardly ever go to these aftercare places because they're not the cream of the crop. They're not the best. Like if you've got a serious situation, even if it's not super serious, go to the ER, go to the hospital. Do not go to an aftercare place. I can't tell you how many aftercare places I've gone to that have been horrible. Um, they've been gross, unethical. They misdiagnosed me. And I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. This is completely unacceptable health care. I mean, I guess if that's the closest thing you're, you're, you're located to within a 100-mile radius, then I guess that's the best you can do, then that's the best you can do. But, you know, hospitals are way better. I know it's not fun going to the ER, but in terms of this kind of situation, definitely avoid aftercare places. And these, um, I call them mom-and-pop shops, but they're not mom-and-pop shops, but they're just these small practices that, They're not always the best. Sometimes you really need to go to the best people. And I, I would say that your health warrants it. Like your health is an investment. So don't be afraid to spend money on yourself. You know, people will spend a lot of money on a car, a Sea-Doo, a motorcycle, um, shoes, purses, but they won't spend a lot of money on their health. And I'm like, look, if you don't have your health, you don't really have anything. So it's, it's very important 
to have those good things in your life and also to pray for them. And that's another prayer that I lifted up. And I'll close with this. I know I'm going on about stuff that's not completely related um, to a trade union or labor union, but I don't know. It's just on my mind. But um, I actually prayed to get a really good health insurance policy that more is covered for less money. And God answered my prayer. And you're probably thinking, well, Leslie, that's, that's not God. Actually, it is. Because things were not looking very good in terms of health insurance for me here in uh, Oklahoma. Because there are less and less insurance companies that offer health insurance in Oklahoma because of Obamacare. Obamacare obliterated or tried to obliterate the insurance market. And they wanted to take it over, the federal government, so that they could force us onto socialized medicine. Well, I know for a fact that socialized medicine is horrible. It doesn't want to hardly pay for anything. And it makes it very difficult to get treatment that you need and get it right away. And so I prayed to God because I was having a really hard time finding a, finding a good health insurance policy and, and finding a good network. Because it seemed like everybody was leaving the state in terms of health insurance companies. And so I prayed about it. And sure enough, God helped me find the right policy. And something that is specifically for what I need And what I want and what I'm willing to pay. That's another thing. I was like, I want a cheaper policy where as much as everything can be covered. Because no one likes going to the hospital and getting a $12,000 bill. I mean, that's like half of a car, technically. I mean, that's just ridiculous that something should cost that much. But just side note, the reason why sometimes these bills, hospital bills and doctor's bills, cost so much is because others are not paying their bills. And the number one culprit is Medicare and Medicaid. The federal government does not like to pay its bills. Like, it really drags it out. And also, it hardly ever pays the, the full price. It says, well, we know we owe you money, but because we're the government, we're not going to pay you everything that you say you're owed. Because we're the government, and if you try and fight us, we'll just kick you out of our network, and then you won't have hardly any patients. That's what the federal government does. And I know that because doctors have told me this. And there, there was one point where it wasn't looking like I was going to be able to find a good health insurance policy here in Oklahoma. Because here's another thing. I purchase it privately. I don't always go through an employer, so I have to purchase it on my own. That might explain where I'm coming from. I don't remember if I've said that before in the past. But um, it was looking like I would have to go on Medicaid. Because I wasn't sure if I could find a, a health insurance policy from just a regular insurance company. Because it was proving very difficult. And so I was like, I do not want to go on Medicaid because it's awful. Government health care is so horrible here in Oklahoma. And you're probably thinking, well, why don't you just get there uh, to be more money sent to you from the federal government? And then it would help. It doesn't help because it doesn't increase services. All it does, whenever you vote to have more uh, federal tax dollars, which is my money and your money, okay, taken out of your paycheck, every time you get paid, it's taken out of your paycheck, Whenever you have more federal tax dollars coming to your state for Medicare or Medicaid, it's not going where you think it's going. A lot of it is going to these bureaucrats that we talked about in a previous podcast where you have these professional paper pushers that are in charge of these different government agencies and they get paid really good wages and have excellent health care benefits that you and I do not have access to. But yet they do and we are paying for it. So not only are we paying for their cushy job, we're paying for their cushy benefits, but yet we don't have a cushy job. They actually sometimes make it difficult to get a cushy job because they punish employers in different ways with these different labor laws. 
And then also, like, they have access to all these doctors that we don't. Because one of the stipulations in some of the health care law is in regards to doctors and doctors' networks. So let's say, for example, um, I purchase you know, a health insurance policy, and I always try and purchase a policy that has the most doctors in it. Well, what I don't understand is that if I, you know, I purchase a gold policy, let's say, but let's say, for example, I, I can really only afford a silver policy or a bronze. That, that's cheaper, I think. See, bronze, yeah, bronze, silver, gold, I had to think about in terms of how much metal is worth. But let's say I can only afford a bronze policy. Well, what I don't understand is why if I purchase a bronze policy, why are not as many doctors included in that as opposed to a gold policy when I'm still within my state? See, one of the things that Trump wanted to do when he was president, but he didn't get a chance to do it, was he wanted to eliminate state lines in regards to health insurance, meaning it would open up the network so that regardless of where you lived, you could go to whatever doctor you wanted whenever you wanted because you would not be limited. But the government didn't want that, and the insurance companies that got in bed with the federal government which would include united healthcare they've been in bed with the government for several years you can't hardly trust them i'm not always a big fan of them and they were offering very shady policies i do not agree with but their the federal government did not want it so that you the citizen could go where you wanted they wanted to restrict movement is what they want to do and also some of these insurance companies that sided with the federal government they did not want people to have that freedom and i'm just going Why would they not want people to have freedom when we live in the United States? Like that's one of the main reasons of, of being an American is that we have freedom. We have liberty and we have freedom. And plus you and I are paying for these medical costs regardless of whether we use them or not. So regardless of whether you get sick or not, when you're paying for your health insurance, you're, you're still paying for services that you're not even using. So then let's say you do need to use those services. Why shouldn't you be able to go wherever you want? Because, you know, sometimes Oklahoma doesn't have the best specialists. And I don't mean that negatively, but sometimes there are great specialists that are located in other states. Well, just because you have health insurance, that doesn't mean that you get to go see that specialist and it be covered. See, even though we have excellent health care in the United States... There are bureaucrats that they love the status quo and they don't want anything disrupted. And they're willing to punish people and suppress people so that you won't have access to what you need and technically what you're already paying for. See, that's my point with that because that's what I've had to deal with for several years with buying my own health insurance. So that's why I know the system. And also I'm a licensed insurance agent in the state of Oklahoma. So I hear and see a lot of things, especially legislation-wise, that really get my attention to this. And it always gets my attention whenever access is limited, when it shouldn't be limited at all. I'm not saying it should be free because nothing is free. Everything has a cost. Everything has a price. Even getting your nails done costs money. I mean, even getting your teeth cleaned costs money. Like, everything costs money. So... Being that everything costs money, if, we're already, if we are already paying for it, why can't we go where we want to go? Because it's our money. It's our services, technically. So that's what Trump was trying to do, and I was hoping and praying that he would be able to get that done, but there was so much opposition to him. Like, people just hated him when he was in office, and I'm like, do you not realize what a golden ticket he is? 
And I'm not referring to his tan or his hair, but it's just, you know, he really wanted there to be more freedom in the United States. I get that he's from New York. I get that he's blonde. I get that he can kind of have an abrasive personality sometimes, but he's a businessman. He doesn't put up with with people's ignorance or their stupidity, whether it's willful or not. And you know what? America needed that. We needed that. And I I was so hoping that Trump would be able to accomplish more because it would directly impact getting more jobs available. It would also impact there being more accessible services in terms of medical care and health insurance. Because I, I kid you not, in regards to Blue Cross Blue Shield, still the best policy to purchase is in Florida. It's it's a Florida blue policy. Maybe I should look into moving there so I can get that policy, because <laughs> it's just better. But anyway, I'm I'm going off topic here, but I have no doubt that my listeners, you guys, are nice and kind, and you completely understand. But anyway, so the next one we will go into. will be the California School Employees Association. And so until next time I pray that you're happy, healthy and whole, that you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Don't let this world go down without a